I dream of living in a nation that exists under the influence of Jesus Christ. That is a dream which typifies what I think is a battle for the soul of this nation. And when you talk about soul, as we read this scripture, we understand that the soul is that essence of our spiritual being. That part of us which is the light of our lives. At the very core of who we are. And we understand that one's soul is ultimately animated by the indwelling presence of Jesus Christ. How do you speak of the soul of a nation? I think that we have already have the words to describe the soul of a nation. It occurs when we turn to a flag, as many of us did growing up and, and still do, and put a hand over our heart and say, I pledge allegiance to this flag and a nation for which it stands. And then we define that nation in words that I believe define the soul of America, one nation under God, that is indivisible, and that provides liberty and justice for all of her citizens all of the time, no matter the differences which may emerge between us. And yet as we gather in this room today, I will tell you that we are soul wounded in America. And for the record, it has nothing to do with an election. Because the battle for the soul of this land is a spiritual battle. And the army which must fight a spiritual battle is the church wherever it may be found. I need to tell you a story from which I gained a great deal of inspiration. As a child of the 50s, I was, I've drawn my heroes out of the stories of World War II. There is one of those stories that has inspired me deeply in the last many months since I've heard it. It occurred in December of 1944. The battle was, is known by its name, the Battle of the Bulge. And the day of which I speak is December 23, 1944. You may know the history of that experience there in Europe, in the eastern reaches of Central Europe, on the border between France and Germany, the Ardennes Forest. It was a frozen wasteland. It was so cold that nothing could work, nothing could fly, no battle was engaging. American troops were relaxed, just trying to find a warm place to live and survive those temperatures. In the midst of that, the German army initiated a very strong counteroffensive, a mechanized offensive that pushed into and through the American lines, thus the bulge in the American lines that has defined the battle. American troops were in disarray. They were in a disorganized retreat, just simply trying to find safety and find American lines. In the midst of that retreat, on the morning of the 23rd of December, in that frozen forest, an American tank crew moving through the forest in search of American lines came across a lone American soldier digging a foxhole. Now get in your mind... That scenario, one man, no one else around, the opposing army coming quickly from the east 
and this one soldier is digging a foxhole. The tank rolled up to Martin. Private Martin was his name, uh, 325th Glider Infantry Division, 82nd Airborne. Martin looked up from his digging, said, you fellas looking for a safe place? Tank commander said, we certainly are. Where are our lines? Martin said, just pull behind me. I'm 82nd Airborne. This is as far as they're going. I love that story. Because in the battle for the soul of a nation, in a battle to determine if this land and the people of this land will once again come under the influence of the culture of Jesus Christ, a battle that must be waged by the church in this land, the attitude of that one soldier is remarkable. Can you imagine what went through this man's mind when he said, I'm, you know, I'm just not going to retreat anymore. I'm not going to back up anymore. I'm not going to flow with the culture anymore. I'm not going to sacrifice my integrity. I'm not going to compromise who I am as an, an American soldier anymore. This is where it stops. And this is where I draw the line. And I expect it will cost me my life. But this is where I stop. Men and women who gather in this room right now under the name of Jesus Christ, I tell you that if the church is going to effectively wage a war for the battle of this nation, that that is exactly the attitude that we have to carry. But right now, I will tell you that we have been in retreat for some time. I believe this nation was founded on principles that are, are the, the core of which is the recognition and service to a transcendent Creator God. You find that all the way through the core documents, the writings of the founders. But since the day it was established, it has been to, begun to erode. And that core concept now has been replaced not by an understanding of who God is and our service to Him. It has been replaced by the idea of I as a self, as an existential self, am prime. And what I want, when I want it, and my rights attended to that are now dominant in this land. And should you think that's happening somewhere else, I'll tell you that that sense of entitlement is alive and well in this room right now. It's permeated every one of our lives to the point that we think someone else is responsible to take care of our responsibility. So the church is the army much, which much, must engage this battle. Let's talk about that concept of church just a minute. It comes from a word that means the gathering of the saints. But I expect that in represented in this group of people today, the majority of us have spoken of church in other terms. We've talked about my church, or we've talked about going to church, or we've talked about what I'm going to do at church. Can I remind you that the only person who's ever walked the face of this earth who can legitimately use the phrase, my church, is Jesus Christ. The rest of us are the church. Why do we treat it as a place? 
Why do we continue to teach our children that we're going to church? As if that is our service to Christ, which is supreme. Listen, if church is a place to which you can go and dress up a certain way and act a certain way, it's a place from which you can leave and act any other way. And there is the problem in this land. Because the church, the army, has gone AWOL. And we have stopped influencing this culture. And I want to stand here this morning and ask you what you intend to do about that. Most of those who are concerned about these things hung it on a vote. But this battle has never been about an election. This battle is about the courage and the integrity of men and women who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. This battle is about desperation for Jesus in the lives of His church. Open your Bibles. I want you to look at something in Matthew chapter 22. If we're going to understand as an army how to behave, it would make sense that we'd pay attention to the master and commander of the army, would it not? His name is Jesus, and He spoke in this particular place, verse 37 of Matthew 22. Jesus was asked a question by someone who was trying to embarrass Him or entrap Him, trying to get Him to say something that would get Him into trouble. And they asked a question, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered, and you see His answer in these verses, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart. You must love Him with all of your soul, and you must love Him with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then He said something remarkable. He said the entire law and all the commands of the prophets are dependent are based on these two commandments. You must, you must, you must. Hey, army, what what part of that do you not get? What part of you must love with all do we not quite understand? Because when you talk about all of heart, the seat of your emotions, all of soul, the seat of our spiritual self, and all of mind, the seat of our intellect, Hey, there's nothing left. That's the whole deal. So what part of all do we not get? What part of being desperate for Jesus Christ do we not understand? Let me see if I can illustrate it this way, this matter of desperation. Remember as as a kid, that summer you were going to to the pool And you had decided that was the day you were going off the high diving board. Now, when you're eight years old, that's a big deal. I remember the day I had been bragging to my friends on the way to the pool, which is a a life lesson. I've learned not to do that anymore because it boxes you in. But I bragged to my friends... Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to the top of that 10-foot board, and I'm diving off for the first time. And we got to the pool, and I looked up at that board, and I thought, 
well, that's not too high. And I started climbing up. And I got to the top of the board and looked down and I realized someone had lied to me. The sign said it was 10 feet. I'm telling you, as I looked down, it was five miles if it was an inch. But my pride was slightly higher than my fear. And I knew I couldn't walk down that ladder. That just wasn't going to happen at all. Because my buddies were watching me. So I walked to the end of the board. And I said to myself, I'm probably going to die, but I'm going off this thing. And I dove in. And a split second later, I hit the water. And I remember thinking, well, that wasn't so bad. And then I realized I had not accounted for physics. That when you go up higher, you will, in fact, go down lower. And I forgot to take a breath before I dove off. Not only had I forgotten to take a breath, the adrenaline was flowing so much, I let it all out before I hit the water. And then I found myself 12 feet under the water, out of air. That will get your attention. And I began to claw and swim and push and anything I could do to reach that shimmering surface up above my head. My lungs were about to burst. I was out of air. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you seem so desperate for something to breathe that that now consumes every part of your thinking. Out of air. And I was not near the surface. And I thought I might not make it. And that, as we reflect back on it as an eight-year-old boy and we think about these things, I wasn't very far from the surface. Nothing bad would have happened. But in that moment, in those instants when I was under that water without any breath, I can tell you that my desperation was high. And I didn't care what my friends thought. And I didn't care about any bragging rights I might have. I needed air. Finally, a hand broke above the shimmering surface, and then my face got up, and the first thing I did was to breathe. And I want to say to you, I believe that's what all means. And I want to say to you, army of, of God, that going to church isn't going to swing this nation. Doing, doing wonderful works on mission trips someplace else isn't going to save this nation. I want to tell you what's going to save this nation. It's going to be your influence out there where you go tomorrow. And if there's anything in you that is somewhat shy of desperation for Jesus Christ in your life, then we can expect the status quo to continue. We can expect this nation to continue to separate it th itself from the things of God. Unless we discover what it really means to love God with all of heart. With all of 
soul and with all of mind and to love neighbor as ourselves. Let me ask you something. How are you known by those that know you best? How are you known by your best friend? How are you known by your son or your daughter or your grandson or your granddaughter? How are you known? What would they say about you if I asked them to tell me what is the animating part of your life? What is that one switch which turns on all of the lights in your life? What is it that animates your soul? Well, some of you are known as members of the First Baptist Church. In fact, if someone asked you, what is God doing in your life? You would say, well, I'm a member of the First Baptist Church, Pella. Well, that and $2 will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Because as far as the nation out there is concerned, we who gathered in this room right need to, need to know today that it doesn't matter if you're a member of the First Baptist Church to them. They don't care. So what do you do now? Some of you are known. Dare I tread here, Pastor? Are you sure? Some of you are known as college football fans. Some of you spend more time in your home illustrating to your children that the primacy of life is to root for one team or another. You choose which. We're probably in a mixed crowd today. And everybody's sad. <laughs> Ask yourself, where's the influence? How am I influencing my child, my son, my daughter, my grandchild, my wife, my friends? How are you known? In the last several months, Mike can tell you, I'm probably being known as a political beast because I've been outspoken about what I think would be right for our nation leading into election season. And God has convicted of me, me of that before the election, that it was time for me to return to what is true and right as my responsibility as a follower of His, and that is to love Him with all that I have, not one party or another, not one candidate or another. So how are you known? Because if the people out there see you who are a proclaiming follower of Jesus Christ as first a football fan or a political animal or as a member of a church or even as a grandfather or a grandmother or whatever the case may be or a leading professional in your field, and somewhere down the line they get to, oh yeah, and he's, I think he's a Christian. If that's the testimony of your life, folks, strap on, because this nation is going to continue a rapid removal from the things of God, because the army that is supposed to fight the battle for the soul of a nation isn't showing up. And if the best we've got to offer is, I went to church... Folks, 
It's already over. Because the battle happens out there. It happens in individual encounters. Probably hundreds of encounters in a given day. It happens when you drive through the window and get your morning coffee and how you treat that person. It happens in how you treat your fellow workers in your place of employment. Ladies and gentlemen, younger ladies and gentlemen, it happens in how you treat the people you go to school with. Men, it happens with how we operate in our minds when no one else is looking. It happens with how we talk about other people. So we have to make some decisions in our lives about what it really means to follow Jesus Christ. Because I will tell you that the people out there who look at us don't think we care about them. And you know what, is, what the truth is? Judging by our actions and our investment, we don't. So what do you intend to do about that? Let me tell you what most of you are going to do about that. Because your pastor and I will be right out there as we end, and you're going to take us by the hand. Pastor, see if I'm test this and see if I'm right. You're going to take us by the hand and going to say, sure enjoyed that sermon, preacher. As you go outside and nothing else changes. Jesus spoke about following him in some very specific terms. He laid the terms out very clearly and very carefully. I want you to look at these terms again. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. We're going to look in verse 23. Because ultimately, every person in this room has to measure themselves by this standard. Do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart? All? Are you desperate for Him? Does that desperation, does that passion have evidence in your life? Are you known by that? Are you known by your following on Jesus' terms? And here are the terms. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Now, I want you to understand that's some dramatic language. That is extreme. Now, we have looked at this, and we've pulled one part of it out. We've talked about taking up a cross. So it's part of our vernacular now. We... We speak of, well, that's just a cross I have to bear. When we say that, we're speaking of some minor inconvenience in life. Or sometimes we're talking about major issues of life. We may be talking about finances. We may be talking about relationships. maybe talking about health. Difficult things of life. Well, that's just a cross I have to bear. And it's code word for retreat. It's code for backing up. It's code for not standing. 
I'm just going to have to tolerate that. Let me tell you something. When Jesus spoke these words to the people in ancient Roman-occupied Israel, and He said these words, take up your cross, they knew He was not talking about some minor or even major inconvenience of life. He wasn't talking about difficulty. He was talking about dying. Because these people had seen what the Romans did with crosses. They had seen bodies nailed to crosses. They had seen the Roman response to insurgency. And they knew that if any one of them as Jewish citizens were to rebel against the flow of Rome, it would cost them their lives. Yet Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, and he was speaking to those twelve that that followed him and a greater number beyond. And by extension, he's speaking to those of us in this room right now who call ourselves Christians and followers of him. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must... By the way, there's no negotiating with those words. When Jesus says, you must, folks, you must. What part do we not get here? You must... Turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, how do you do that? If he's talking about something upon which you die, a course of action upon, that may cost you your life, how do you keep following him? He's speaking in terms of complete, total, non-negotiable surrender to him. So that... As we follow Him on His terms, He can guide and direct individual followers any way He wishes to, to achieve His end. Thus, when we come to Christ as followers, we are to be completely sold out, completely surrendered, completely submitted to Him. And that's tough for Americans to hear because we don't surrender so well. following on his terms. I was recently had an opportunity to do something that, that I've dreamed about all of my life. I, I, again, my heroes out of World War II. And I was afforded an opportunity to fly in a World War II fighter, specifically a P-51. Not just to ride in it, to fly it. And it was a marvelous experience. And we did aerobatics and loops and rolls and all those kinds of things, and I was flying through those, and that was a lot of fun. But the real difficulty and the real discipline of flying an airplane is flying in formation. That is the formation from which a battle formation is taken. Two planes or more planes flying in formation so that they are seen flying as one rather than as individuals. So at the end of our of this time, I was instructed that I needed to fly as the wingman with another plane, and we joined up with that other plane. And it was the hardest thing that I'd done. Flying loops is easy. That's fun. But subjecting myself to the leadership of another plane was very difficult. And I was told by my instructor that what I needed to do was place myself and our plane in such a relationship with the lead plane that as I looked across the tip of that, that other, other plane's wing, the light on the tip of that wing was lined up with the canopy. The instructor called it putting the light in the eye. 
And my job was to maintain flight in such a way that I stayed in relationship to the other plane no matter how it moved or where it moved or what altitude or, or perspective it took so that we were flying as one. No matter what he did, I was to stay in relative position to him. I found it to be an extremely difficult thing to do. And yet that is exactly what Jesus is telling us. We are to follow him on his terms as if we are one with him. So how are you known to the people who see you? Do they see you first as a man or a woman claiming to be a Christian in complete, complete synchronization with Jesus and all that He taught, loving Him with all of heart and soul and mind and loving neighbor as self? Or do they see you as a proclaimed follower of Jesus Christ just flying loops and having a good time? When you compare yourself to Jesus, follower of Jesus Christ, where do you stand? Because that's the question. We who claim to be His followers are the army that He has assigned in this land to bring the influence of the culture of Jesus Christ, His nature, His mission, His ethic, His revelation, to bear. And it starts where you guys go to school. It starts where you guys go to work. It starts where you ladies go to work. It starts in your families. Gentlemen, let me just start with you. I'm going to pick on you just a moment, and then we're going to quit. Do your children in your home this day, do your grandchildren see you opening this word, this book, and reading from it, and gleaning from it, and shaping your life to it? Do they hear you speaking about these things? Or do they hear you talking about a football team, or deer hunting, or some other such nonsense? Okay, Army, where are you going to be? Because business as usual is losing this nation. Maybe it would help to know what happened later on the day, on December 23rd, when one man said, I'm not going to retreat anymore. That tank crew commander that rolled up, to whom Martin spoke and said, just pull behind me, decided that was a good idea. And that one Sherman tank pulled around Martin, turned his gun back to the east. Now it's one man in a foxhole and one Sherman tank. Not quite enough, but here's what happened through the day. Other American troops filtering through that frozen forest looking for safety. Other tank crews doing the same thing saw that unmistakable silhouette of a Sherman tank and they began to gravitate to it. And by the end of the day on December 23rd, Private Martin's foxhole had become the new American line and it did not break again. Sometimes all it takes in a school is one. 
Sometimes all it takes in a place of business is one. Sometimes all it takes in a social gathering is one. Sometimes all it takes in a church is one. One person that says, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And I will not back up anymore. I will not participate in this retreat from the things of Christ in my nation. I will not sacrifice the integrity, my integrity as a follower of Christ. I will not compromise myself even in my private moments. I will follow Jesus. No matter what, it may cost me. So you see, army... The choice gets to be yours, and it starts here, it starts right now, and it starts with your decision. Where are you going to be in relation to Jesus Christ? Pastor. Appreciate Dr. Foley's message today. It's been very clear. Uh, we're either a part of the solution or a part of the problem. And I pray to God that we'll make that decision today, that we'll not be a part of the problem, but we will be a part of the solution. And he's right. It begins with one person. And you may be that one person. Maybe you've never come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's wonderful to hear these reports from Mississippi. Uh, and I know that there are a lot of folks in Mississippi who still need to be saved. There are a lot of folks in Pelham, Alabama who need to be saved. If you're here this morning, you've heard the gospel, please respond and say, I'm going to deny myself, I'm going to take up my cross, and I'm going to follow Jesus. And if you have done that, and maybe you've gotten weary, and you've laid the cross to the side, and you're still following, but like Simon Peter did one time, you're following him far off. He's calling you to come back walk closely by his side today because only there will you know the peace that he gives maybe you need a church home maybe you need to be baptized I'm going to ask you to come let's stand together and bow for a moment of prayer then we're going to sing a hymn invitation I'm going to ask the staff members and, and the prayer team to come to receive those who will come ask God today what decision you need to make and then be swift to obey as he calls Father speak to our hearts Help us to be willing to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And may we follow Jesus until he comes for us or until he calls us home. May we no longer be a part of the problem, but may we be a part of the solution of the battle for the soul for our nation. And may we do it for our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.